time is now 6 o'clock. Welcome to WORT's local news for Wednesday, October 4th, 2023. I'm your host, Vicki Iden. And I'm your host, Robert McClure. In tonight's news, today the State Assembly held a public hearing on a Republican-sponsored bill that would prohibit gender-affirming care for minors. Yesterday, the City Council amended ordinances on trespassing. But will this change how laws are enforced in Madison? In October of 1962, university students held an orderly demonstration against UW-Madison's civil rights rules, one that quickly devolved into chaos. Good evening, this is Rob McClure and Vicki Iden with your local news coming to you live from the WORT studios on Bedford Street in downtown Madison. Here are the headlines for this evening. How did our members of Congress vote on the ouster of House Speaker Kevin McCarthy along strict party lines? All six of Wisconsin's Republican members of Congress voted to retain McCarthy. The two Democrats, Mark Pocan and Gwen Moore, joined with their Democratic colleagues and eight Republicans to show him the door. The recent articles of impeachment against the state elections administrator, Megan Wolf, are riddled with errors and misstatements of fact. That's according to an analysis by PolitiFact and published by the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel. The report found that the charges against her assume that she is the decision-maker for election processes, when in reality she's an administrator who takes direction from the election commission. For example, Wolf is accused of initiating the use of ballot drop boxes. This was simply the decision handed down by the commission. She's also accused of directing city clerks to address uh, uh, to add addresses on mailed ballots if they were omitted. In fact, she carried out the commission's guidance recommending this practice. This has been policy for the last 11 elections. The legislature, legislators accused Wolf of allowing city clerks to translate ballot instruction into Spanish, which they claim is against the law. The charge ignores the fact that the federal government requires translations for voters in Wisconsin's 11 largest cities. An inadvertent two-word addition to envelopes used for mail-in ballots may result in the printing of millions of replacements, as reported in the Cap Times. Mail-in ballots have been a major area of dispute since the 2020 election. After Trump's unfounded assertions that they contributed to his loss, his supporters have scrutinized every element of the ballot and the envelope used for its return. In this instance, the words state and zip code were added to the witness's address on the ballot. These words were not part of the form approved by the Elections Commission. The printer from Sioux City, Iowa, admitted that he added the words, assuming they were mistakenly omitted. If the Elections Commission does not change its ruling on the return address, more than a million envelopes will be destroyed and then reprinted. An anti-abortion group, Pro-Life Wisconsin, has filed charges against doctors performing abortions in Wisconsin. The charges were filed with a State Department on Professional Regulation, which oversees the physician licensing process. This comes just weeks after Planned Parenthood Wisconsin resumed abortion services in Madison and Milwaukee. 
One of the named physicians, Kristen Lyerly of Green Bay, actually practices in Minnesota, not Wisconsin. She moved her practice after the Dobbs decision made abortion illegal in the state, but is expecting to move back to Wisconsin. Lyerly stated in an interview with the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel, quote, My patients tell me their stories and I see their bravery day in and day out. If I can show a fraction of their courage by continuing to fight for our rights as women to control our bodies and against baseless attacks on me personally, it's time well spent, end quote. Dane County Executive Joe Parisi announced his resignation, which will take place next May. This was a surprise announcement following his presentation of the county's budget yesterday. Parisi has served as Dane County's executive for 13 years. During this time, the population has increased by over 80,000. Following his resignation in May, the county board chair will appoint an interim executive. Then, in November 2024, an election will be held for the position. Parisi said that he was pleased that the November election date will result in greater voter turnout than if the election were held in April. The major accomplishments of Parisi include the expansion of mental health services and support for homeless people. In public safety, Parisi and the sheriffs ran a decade-long campaign to build a new jail. Perhaps his greatest achievement has been in environmental protection. Some of these are the uh, new solar facilities now powering all county facilities and a multi-year program to dredge the streams and lakes of phosphates called Suck the Muck. Before his election as county executive, Parisi served as the county clerk and as a state representative for East Madison. Faculty and students at University of Wisconsin Oshkosh protested plans to cut 200 faculty and staff positions, increase teaching loads, and require non-paid time off for most university employees. The chancellor's plan follows the announcement of a projected $15 million shortfall for this budget year. The college in Oshkosh has had declining enrollment for the last few years, with 1,000 fewer students than five years ago. The current budget gap follows a $9 million shortfall last year. The budget gap is in part due to to the legislature's refusal to provide any additional funds for the entire university system. Assembly Speaker Robin Voss has blocked any increase in funding as a response to continued diversity, equity, and inclusion efforts on campus. About two dozen supporters of the protesters in Oshkosh marched at UW-Madison. Chad Allen Goldberg, president of the United Faculty and Staff and a professor of sociology, told the Wisconsin State Journal, quote, As other campuses are undermined and weakened, the flagship campus will become more isolated and more vulnerable to comparable political attacks in the future. And those were your local news headlines. We turn now to two special guests, Nicole and Jade, in the studio, who want to tell you a little something about WORT and our pledge drive. Hey, thanks, Vicki and Rob. Yeah, I am here with Nicole, and we are hoping to get six people, no, seven people this hour. We got a big goal here, but I think we can do it. I think we've got seven people just waiting to give Bill out there a call and go online and pledge some money and show their support for WORT. Yeah, that's the phone number here, 608-256-2001, or go online to wortfm.org, and we're looking for you 
the person who loves turning on the Wednesday news and hearing Rob and Vicky's voice most weeks. I know uh, sometimes we let them off on, on a vacation, but most weeks we got Robin and Vicky here who are reading us the headlines and, and using their beautiful voices to walk us into the news um, and the features of, of the week. Yes, and in addition to them, we have a whole news team down there putting all these stories together and it, it takes a whole bunch of people to get this on the air and it, you can show your support and tell those people they're doing a great job by again giving us a call at 608-256-2001 or go online wortfm.org it's real easy you can enter all your information right there uh, you don't you don't have to talk to anybody i'm an introvert i get it <laughs> again we're looking for seven of you during the hour and i know that you um, you really like the Wednesday news. Nicole was saying that um, she mostly works on the Thursday news and the Wednesday news is so different. And yeah. yeah, we know that. We know that you're listening and you're like, yeah, Wednesday is my favorite day. Um, I'm going to go ahead and donate. Maybe at some point you were a volunteer here. Maybe you read the news on Wednesdays. Um, give us a call 608-256-2001 or go online to wortfm.org because we know it. You like Wednesdays and you want to show your support. Yes. I definitely support these Wednesday crew. I've heard stories about the Wednesday crew and how great they are. So it's great to also support them a little bit this week. But yeah, give us a call 608-256-2001. Talk to Bill out there or go online wortfm.org. And now back to the news. Today, lawmakers held public hearings on a pair of Republican authored bills targeting transgender youth in Wisconsin. One seeks to further regulate transgender youth athletes. The other would prohibit gender-affirming care for minors. Our producer, Faye Parks, was at the Capitol to hear from folks pushing back against the legislation. This afternoon, the Assembly Committee on Health, Aging, and Long-Term Care held a public hearing on a bill that would prohibit gender transition medical intervention for folks under the age of 18. The language in the Assembly Bill prohibits healthcare providers from medically intervening in any way, if done for the purpose of affirming a minor's gender. That includes any surgery that sterilizes the patient, mastectomies, puberty-blocking drugs, or hormone therapy. The prohibition on gender-affirming care would not apply to intersex minors or minors who need treatment for a physical ailment. Anyone who violates these guidelines would have their license revoked nurses, doctors, or mental health care workers that refer their underage patients to other providers for medical intervention. Just before the public hearing, the Assembly Committee on Education hosted another to discuss a related bill. The authors are looking to designate youth sports teams based on the participants' sex in private and public schools across the state. These bills are part of a nationwide conservative push to regulate transgender youth. Today, the hall outside the hearing on youth gender transition was bustling with advocates and members of the public, most of them opposing the bill. At one point, Reverend Hannah Roberts Villeneuve of Appleton confronted a man shouting his support for the bill. Reverend Roberts Villeneuve refutes the man's claim and the party line saying that Christianity has anti-transgender teachings. There's nothing about this radical gender ideology held by the alt-right that's in the Bible or in the biblical text. And further, that the calls that are clearly in the biblical text to create a kind of community that reflects the teachings of Jesus asks us to first accept and love one another and judge much later, and these so-called Christians are failing to do that. Theo Shulman is a student at MATC and participates in student government. He has also interned with Governor Tony Evers. 
He says that gender-affirming care was his lifeline when he struggled with depression as a teen. This is life-saving medical care. It saved my life and it will save the lives of others. They're, they're taking away the future of these kids, basically. I remember being young and all I wanted was a puberty blocker to go on testosterone and I was not able to. And the moment I turned 18, I immediately got a prescription as quickly as I could and thank God for my doctor for being supportive. He also told me that he brought his testosterone with him, planning to take his daily shot in front of the committee. Through this, he says, he hopes to counter conservative fear-mongering surrounding hormone treatments. Sandra Kirby is the government affairs manager at American Principles Project, a conservative lobby group. She testified in support of the bill, arguing that gender-affirming medical care has side effects. Puberty blockers like Lupron are causing premature osteoporosis in teens, which leads to fragile bones, slipped hips, and other injuries typically associated with the elderly. Kirby did not cite any sources backing up her claim. Studies have published preliminary findings that puberty blockers, which suppress hormones that help the body develop during puberty, have been linked to lower bone growth in younger patients and could lead to heightened risk of fracture earlier in life. But puberty blockers have also been in use since the 1980s have been shown to be safe and are still an active area of study for researchers. And for some families, the benefits of easing gender dysphoria outweigh any potential risks from blockers. Tessa Pilcher opposes the bill and says that all children, cisgender and transgender alike, are able to define their own identities. In a world where hormone replacement therapy exists, you are always making a choice. If you decide to transition, if you decide to not transition, your body is going to produce hormones. You just need to decide which one, but everyone is making that choice. She says that she personally did not consider transitioning as a possibility until later in life, but only because she wasn't aware that this was a choice she could make. Dr. Melinda Brennan, executive director of ACLU Wisconsin, says that genital surgery on underage patients, a common talking point alleged by anti-trans conservatives, is practically unheard of in Wisconsin. She also says that gender-affirming care is a lifelong process that has many steps, verifying that the patient is making an informed choice. Likely as not, there would be counseling involved to determine what kind of support is needed at that particular juncture. Often that continues over the course of most people's lives, whether they're trans or cisgender for that matter. And so ultimately, it is many years of therapy and support of community and family members that provide the opportunity for a person to decide if they want to make any bodily changes at all. The bills are still in committee, and if approved after today's public hearings, would head to Governor Evers' desk. The governor has pledged to veto legislation that discriminates against trans Wisconsinites, and has done so before. Last June, he vetoed Republican legislation that attempted to restrict Medicaid coverage for gender-affirming care in their budget proposal. But Republicans could be poised to successfully override a governor's veto based on the day-to-day -day composition of lawmakers present in the legislature. At the time of broadcast, 12 groups have registered in opposition to the bill prohibiting gender-affirming medical care for minors. This includes the Children's Hospital of Wisconsin, the Human Rights Campaign, the Wisconsin Public Health Association, and the National Association of Social Workers, Wisconsin Chapter. Only Wisconsin Family Action Incorporated, a conservative advocacy group, has registered their support. Dr. Brennan predicts that, even if Governor Evers vetoes this bill as expected, the tide of anti-transgender legislation will continue. The reality is these bills will be introduced over and over again, not only in Wisconsin, a crucial battleground state, but in all other states 
if there is the opportunity for them to be introduced. Unfortunately, the experiment of anti-transness has escaped the lab, and it is going to travel across the United States. With that in mind, she encourages people to support transgender folks across Wisconsin. People like Theo Shulman, who transition in order to live happy and affirmed lives. I've known basically since I knew what it was, that it was what was right. It wasn't a big revelation. It was more of a, oh, that's what fits. Kind of a a moment of coming home. Reporting for WORT News, I'm Faye Parks. Madison's professional soccer club, Forward Madison FC, played their second-to-last regular season home match over the weekend. They ended in a 2-2 tie against Lexington Soccer Club. The club also celebrated Hispanic Heritage Month with a visit from Mexican ex-professional player Carlos Salcido. WORT News reporter Diego Alegria headed out for more. Last Saturday, families and fans celebrated the Dia del Fútbol, or Soccer Day, at Bree Stevens Field, which featured a special guest, children's activities, and a soccer clinic with forward Madison players and staff. The main activity was the visit of Carlos Salcido, a now-retired professional player who represented Mexico's national team in World Cups in 2006, 2010, and 2014 and was part of Mexico's team that took home the gold at the 2012 Summer Olympics. At Bree Stevens, the ex-professional player signed shirts, took photos with fans, and enjoyed forwards' match against Lexington. About his visit, Salcido stressed the importance of viewing soccer as a holistic experience with fans and players. I believe the important thing is that it is a totally different day and that they take away a good memory and that we can, at the same time, leave them something. We did a very simple dynamic here. But believe me, suddenly, these are the little things that the children keep. And today is a very important day here. It is the soccer day. They have a match. This is an important match for the club. it will be a great full day. I hope the team wins. I hope that people leave happy. And above all, that they take away a nice memory of an ex-professional player who is here with them. After joining the Inter-Miami Football Club in July, Lionel Messi has boosted the number of fans and viewers of MLS, the U.S. Major League Soccer. According to CNBC, Inter-Miami is now the highest-selling soccer team. Alongside, the number of MLS viewers has almost doubled. From 343,000 last year to 600. 80,000 this year. Davis Aparicio from MSCR, Madison School and Community Recreation, reflected on the growing popularity of soccer among his students thanks to the arrival of the Argentinian world champion. I think it's very beautiful for the community. It's something you hardly see here in Madison. Soccer is not something that almost everyone practices. I believe that Messi is making a difference in everything that is the United States. In other words, he's making a huge impact. 
y los niños están contentos porque porque ven quieren aprender and the children cosas, are happy because they want to learn other things they want to learn soccer so in that way I think that soccer is growing more in other races and it is something that is very beautiful now retired Salcido is dedicated to fostering soccer among younger generations he has two academies and coaches a professional team the Procam de Ocotlán in Jalisco, Mexico. Tenemos dos, dos academias como tal. Tenemos un equipo profesional. We have two two academies as such. We have a professional team and the coach of that professional team. So I'm very familiar with this dynamic. I like football base, or youth soccer as we call it, being with the kids, trying to train them, guide them, detect or see talent. I've been there for three years now, completely involved in their formation. His visit came as forward Madison FC winds down its summer season with only one more regular season home match at Bree Stevens Field. Next year, women's professional soccer is slated to head to Madison, tentatively to launch as a first division league in August 2024, contingent on stadium improvements to Breeze Stevens Field. Reporting for WORT News, I am Diego Alegria. And the time is now 6.26, and you're listening to the live local news on WORT, a listener-sponsored community radio station. And, of course, we feel it's especially important to keep the news on this station free from commercial influence. That only happens with pledges. Nicole and Jay, does anyone called in to, to uh, sponsor us? No. Can you believe that? No. I know. <laughs> yeah, we are waiting for you. I know you're listening right now, and you've just been really enjoying that. Um, important piece from Faye and that great piece from Diego. And so you haven't had a chance yet to call, but now's a great time. Um, 608-256-2001, or you can go online to wortfm.org. Why do you find, why do you think the news is so important, Nicole? I think the news is important because you are getting different than what you hear on the big stations. Mm -hmm. You're getting more local stories. You're getting more in-depth stories our reporters here are fantastic i have i mean every single piece i've ever heard from you know the very important piece like they had with the abortion access to the fishing guys on thursday with their pieces i think the variety is what makes this so important and also it just keeps you informed and it keeps you it keeps you in the know of what's going on in your community and it it's great yeah it really is and i think that you You get to hear the voices of the people who are affected by different, um, you know, legislation that's happening. Mm -hmm. You get to hear the voices of like a cool person who came to Madison and, you know, Diego has the ability to do some um, do some translating there. So we are able to bring his voice onto the airwaves, um, which you maybe wouldn't hear anywhere else. Yes. Or you you don't hear anywhere you, else. You really don't hear anything like this anywhere else. This is a unique to Madison thing. It's it's really cool to be a part of this. I'm really happy to be here mm -hmm. and I'm happy to get to be part of these amazing teams that are get, putting out this really important stuff and good quality news that, from volunteers. These people are just giving up their time. So you can help us keep them on the air, keep them, you know, Telling these stories, you can call us at 608-256-2001 or wortfm.org. The time is now 6.32 and you're listening to the live local news on WORT 89.9 FM Madison. I'm your host, Robert McClure, here with my co-host, Vicki Iden. Thanks for staying with us.
this is Jade. I'm popping in here real quick, uh, Vicky and Rob, because we are have some people to thank. Woo! Thank you. Um, we have the Union Cab Driver. Thank you, Union Cab Driver, for making a donation. And I'll let you read this one, Nicole. And we have Aaron. Thank you so much, Aaron. They say that they're into the Wednesday news, backcountry, Pan-Africa. So many great shows that they're now supporting with their donation. And you can, too. So thank you so much. Uh, We're going 608-256-2001. Both of these people called in um, because they wanted to talk about how much they liked WORT. And I actually didn't read Union Cab Driver's um, favorite shows, which are the local news. Thank you. Query, which comes after this, and Mel and Floyd, which is all the laughs. Amazing. Thank you so much to these guys who called in. And we got our people still waiting by. You can call them at 608-256-2001 or WORTFM.org. You too can show your support. Tell us, you know, what shows you like. There's plenty to choose from. There's plenty. I, I listen to the Show Tune show on Sunday. Mm-hmm. Really like that one. Uh, Labor News on Fridays. I love that one too. Yeah, you can be like um, our union cab driver who I'm sure was I like to imagine that you are calling from your union cab um, pulled over waiting for your next your next ride. And, um, you know, maybe that's you. Maybe you're also driving right now um, for whatever company that you drive for. Give us a call. We love to hear that people are listening to us while they're doing their jobs. Yes. Yeah. Let us know what you're up to. Let us know why you listen when you do. Uh, We all love to hear how much you appreciate wart and this is you know a good tangible way to show that you love wart and you know we love hearing it too you know we all love talking to the to the people who call in so uh, yeah give us a call 608-256-2001 or go online to wortfm.org the local news is a great place to give it's a great time to actually show that you know this is something that you value um, I, you know, I really appreciate that Union Cab Driver gave to our program, um, even with you know, one of his favorite shows being Mel and Floyd, because, you know, Mel and Floyd, they get all the they get all the listeners, they get all the <laughs> pledgers. But you saying that, you know, the news is really important to you. Um, we're sort of we're a show that takes a lot of work and we need to show to the board. We need to show to everyone that this is a show that not only pulls in the listeners, but it pulls in the dollars as well. Yes. And those dollars can actually go towards helping the news. I know they need new field recording equipment so that they can be making these stories and have better audio and better quality of and make better quality products because they write amazingly. So it'd be great to hear them as amazing as they write. Yeah. You know, so both the story that Faye did today and the story that Diego did, they did their recordings on, um, on the, the recorders that we have here at WORT, but we're looking to really expand, um, our newsroom and expand the reporters that we have. So we need to have more recorders so that everyone who is coming and showing up daily to do a new story has access to a recorder um, it's really important in my like in interviews that I do that I'm able to get that best audio so that you, the listener, um, can listen to it and then also come back to it. Right. One thing that the news does is we put all of the shows that we do, we put all of the features that we do online so that you can hear it later um, and you can hear, you know, if you you missed a quote and you want to. Oh, who was that expert that they were talking to? You can do that by going and listening online. And if we have, you know, crummy recorders, it's not going to sound good. You're not going to want to listen to it again. Um, but if we have good recorders, which cost 
you know, a couple hundred bucks each. Um, they're not cheap, but they're good. And we're all, we also are looking for the best quality for um, the best price we can find. Yeah, that we can bring you the best possible news that we can. So again, you can call us at 608-256-2001. Go to WORTFM.org. I need five more of you during yes. this hour. So that's you, the listener right now. Um, pick up your phone, go online, WORTFM.org or 608-256-2001. Madison's ordinances against trespassing just got a little bit shorter after the city council decided yesterday to strike a little used subsection that criminalized sleeping or having sleep-related items while trespassing. Advocates say it's just one more step in taking language off the books that's reductive, little used, and stigmatizing, though not all homeowners testified in favor of it last night. WORT reporter Gigi Royko Morer watched hours of city proceedings so you don't have to. A proposal to repeal aspects of a Madison's trespassing ordinance dominated much of last night's city council meeting. The proposal, which ultimately passed by a vote of 13 to 5, doesn't change the enforcement of trespassing laws already on the books. But it does remove language prohibiting people from sleeping, laying down, or camping while trespassing. And while that language has been on the books for nearly 30 years, reports Channel 3000, it's rarely been used by law enforcement. Advocates say the language is unnecessary and serves to stigmatize homelessness. The resolution was introduced by several alders, including Jeanette Figuracole. So when I first started, I was given a list of a number of ordinances that use language that implies or makes reference to unshelter, the unsheltered population. Uses words like sleeping, carrying bags, camping, um, things like that, panhandling, all, all that kind of thing that is usually um, our usual terms that are used to stereotype the unsheltered population. But before being taken off the books, the language elicited a heated response during public comment, with some concerned that the change would encourage trespassing on private property, tamp down enforcement, and put homeowners in unsafe situations. Without a shadow of a doubt, to repeal this ordinance would increase both the risk and activity that it was meant to prevent five alders voted against the ordinance change. Alder Kristen Slack is one of the alders who voted against the proposal. I mean, I guess we'll just test this out. And every, you know, it will be, well, it'll just be a city that tests it out. I think you're gonna have a lot of really upset and angry residents and constituents if this is repealed, because I think there's better ways to figure out how to create warm, safe spaces at night for people to sleep. But Assistant Chief John Patterson says the proposal would cause virtually no change to the response process of police to trespassers and would not limit the action homeowners could take to protect their privacy and property. The Madison Police Department rarely uses this section of the ordinance. Only four people have been cited since 2018 under that subsection. None of those cases involved someone who was unhoused. I'll talk just about the, that time period that I looked at. There was there was only merely a handful um, of those times where that was enforced. I think it was two of those instances uh, were for individuals that had overconsumed alcohol and perhaps were confused as to where they were and they were sleeping on someone else's property. Uh, and the other one had to do with a runaway situation. The the fourth one was issued incorrectly by the officer. So, so that one should have been a subsection two citation, and I believe it was amended by the city attorney's office or perhaps by the municipal court once it got to that point. 
So um, it's not utilized a lot. Meanwhile, thousands of citations have been issued in the same five-year period for simple trespassing, remaining on another person's property without their consent. The ordinance has been on the books since the mid-90s. City Attorney Michael Haas told Alders he saw no legal issue with repealing this section of Madison's municipal code now. In my legal opinion, I don't think the enforcement options of the police or the prosecution options of our office will change at all. Meanwhile, at last night's council meeting, Alders recognized Domestic Violence Awareness Month and approved an alcohol license for the Red Shed in their move from Francis Street to State Street. Reporting for WORT News, I'm Gigi Reichelmauer. And it's time now for the most comprehensive weather report on the airwaves with WORT weather guru, Rob McClure. Well, temperatures definitely overperformed, as we say today. I was expecting uh, perhaps 71 or 72 when I gave the forecast on the Monday morning uh, forecast, but we managed 78 degrees instead, thanks in large measure to uh, precipitation and cloud cover underperforming. Model soundings of the air column this afternoon, uh, as well as just plain looking out the window at the very intermittent cloud cover, uh, indicated an abundance of dry air above us, uh, up generally below about 20,000 feet. Uh, so although we were able to tower up some lower cumulus, uh, warm and dry air between 8,000 and 20,000 feet prevented any of those uh, towering up into showers or uh, thunderstorms as the cold front to our west began to bear down on us late in the day. So the uh, first four days of October are going to go in the books averaging 16 degrees above normal following what was a 9.4 degree uh, warm anomaly during the last 10 days of September. So that's two solid weeks now. The temperature is more like the third week of August than be the beginning of October. Uh, and probably the uh, reason you're still harvesting tomatoes and peppers and eggplants from your garden but August is going to uh, crash headlong into October in another uh, 24 hours or so. So uh, enjoy the uh, sort of transitional day that we're going to get tomorrow before it gets a lot colder. You can get a sense of this uh, impending change coming at us by looking at the water vapor image of North America that we have linked up on the uh, WORT weather webpage this evening. Uh, that satellite image is three days in length, and it shows the strong cutoff low pressure circulation that's been rotating this balmy air northeastward off the southern plains over us. Uh, it's lifted from the Four Corners region up through the Dakotas and northern Minnesota over the past 24 hours or so, and is thus in a position to rotate uh, air more eastward over us instead of northeastward now, which will be carrying a weak surface high pressure cell into the area uh, from the uh, region around Nebraska tonight and tomorrow with only uh, marginally cooler air in it. So that should allow us a day in the upper 60s tomorrow, maybe uh, 70 or so. Uh, but further to the northwest, a much colder air mass is starting to pour south from the area up around uh, Great Slave Lake. And that's producing the potent upper trough that you can see if you're looking at the water vapor digging southeastward from Alberta and Saskatchewan into eastern Montana and the Dakotas. The lead edge of that air mass is going to push across the listening area between uh, roughly 2 and 5 p.m. tomorrow afternoon. Uh, perhaps towering up some cumulus into showers out ahead of it, as suggested by some of the higher resolution computer models. 
Uh, but likely, in any case, to be developing a pretty thick band of uh, either broken cumulus or stratocumulus to accompany it across the area. Cloud cover and uh, veering west-northwest winds will begin dropping the temperatures then uh, as we go through the balance of the afternoon with winds increasing as well as the pressure gradient tightens up between the cold, dense, early-season Arctic air that's going to be subsiding down the eastern plains and the departing low-pressure circulation uh, exiting uh, northeastward in the warm air out ahead of it. A cold and windy 48 hours will then follow with the coldest air, I think, trekking either over us or perhaps just to our southwest through Iowa. And just how that ends up playing out may affect how much uh, diurnal cloud cover we see both Friday and Saturday. Friday looks uh, fairly certain, I think, to be dimmed by a fairly thick stratocumulus much of the day, probably thick enough to drop passing showers, in fact, from time to time. Saturday may be a more uh, partly cloudy affair with uh, just passing plates of stratocumulus alternating with uh, more breaks for sun. Neither day is going to make it much past 50 degrees the way it's looking, and stiff northwesterly winds both the days will make the air temperature feel quite a bit colder. Winds will begin to subside later Saturday as the center of the surface high approaches to our southwest, and I suspect that winds will slack off enough at least to produce a threat of frost in at least some of the low-lying colder pockets out in the counties to the north or northwest of Madison, uh, though we may not drop uh, too much south of 40 degrees here in town. Uh, we will warm going into next week, but the po cold pocket in the atmosphere over us this coming weekend is actually going to cut off into its own closed circulation uh, as it gets just east of us, and then it's unclear from there how long its cooling and clouding influence uh, may linger over us. Indeed, we may see that uh, work back westward over us around Tuesday after having exited east once. Uh, it will exit then finally later sometime mid-next week, and we will warm up. But anyway, back to the forecast for just a few additional details. Tonight, the skies will continue to see a fair bit of passing cloud cover before uh, clearing out after drier air begins to get better established. Uh, southwesterly winds at 5 to 10 miles per hour will veer more westerly through the night and come down uh, near calm by dawn. Temperatures will drop to the uh, upper 50s. And tomorrow, mostly clear skies through the morning hours will let temperatures, I think, reach 70 or close to on uh, light southwesterly winds, which will come up to 5 to 10 miles per hour uh, by midday. Building clouds uh, working southeastward across the area through the afternoon will herald the approach of the uh, cold front, and the winds will veer uh, west and northwest and increase then later in the day. A passing shower, as I mentioned, is possible out of the cloud deck as that front comes through. Temperatures will continue to drop then as clouds clear out overnight tomorrow down to the uh, probably the upper 40s by dawn on Friday on northwesterly winds at 8 to 12 miles per hour. And Friday may dawn clear, partly cloudy, but cumulus and stratocumulus should develop quickly, uh, limiting the temperature climb, I think, to just a handful of degrees, perhaps into the low 50s. Northwesterly winds will increase to 12 to 20 miles per hour with uh, some gustiness in the afternoon and then stay fairly active overnight, limiting the temperature fall uh, to the low 40s by dawn on Saturday. And Saturday will be uh, slightly more sunny, but with cumulus and stratocumulus redeveloping, I think, perhaps uh, especially to the west and south, uh, temperatures will hold again in the low 50s on continued northwesterly winds, uh, quite brisk, 12 to 22 miles per hour during the day, and a gusty again in the afternoon. Temperatures will drop back to the upper 30s, then overnight, uh, perhaps holding, holding around 40 here in the city with the uh, still warm lakes nearby us. 
Winds will be backing more westerly and coming down around 4 to 8 miles per hour by Sunday morning. And uh, Sunday, uh, after a possible bit of frost, as I mentioned, at least in a few places, we'll be back up in the mid to upper 50s again with passing cloud cover. Uh, at the moment, at the station down here on Bedford Street, the temperature is 73 degrees. The dew point temperature is 58. The winds are out of the southwest at 7 miles per hour. Uh, still a few passing uh, uh, cumulus up above us, about 6,000 feet, and passing cirrus up above that. Uh, the uh, barometer is falling at 29.87 inches of mercury. We go now to October 1962 for an orderly demonstration against university civil rights rules and a disorderly demonstration in favor of women's undergarments. Here's Stu Levitan with the news from 61 years ago this month on tonight's Madison in the 60s. All They melt into a dream. Madison in the 60s, October 1962. Madison's largest and most successful civil rights demonstration to date occurs on October 4th, 1962, when about 1,400 sorority and fraternity members marched silently in the rain from Langdon Street to Bascom Hall to protest various university human rights regulations. The large Greek delegation delivers a petition against the proposed rules to Dean of Students Leroy Luberg, who calls the demonstration, quote, one of the best organized and most orderly ever held on campus. Then they march down State Street and home to Langdon Street. It's a long way on heels, says Luberg, who had waived the 48-hour notice requirement to allow the march, which he also calls unprecedented. And unimpressive, the Daily Cardinal says, calling the march, quote, an unwise endeavor because its leaders were, quote, so obviously confused about its purpose that participants showed befuddlement. It's about this time that persons unknown phone in a death threat or two to editor Jeff Greenfield. Two days after the long, silent march of 1,400 students, 400 gather for a single moment of silence at Lincoln Terrace, showing support for the attempt by James Meredith to enroll in the University of Mississippi, although the Cardinal finds this demonstration to be, quote, somewhat disorganized as students stood awkwardly in silence, its purpose was perfectly clear and thus, quote, much more effective. It's a student demonstration of a much different kind when beer bars, women's dorms, and warm moonlight nights make for a bad brew October 13th and 14th, the weekend of the UW's big game with Notre Dame. On each night, about 3,000 young men go on panty raids that become near riots, the worst campus disturbances since the panty raid of May 1952, when police made 21 arrests. It starts at bar time, a quarter to one on Saturday morning. As the six beer bars in the lower three blocks of State Street empty and the suds-soaked crowd builds, the men's thoughts turn to co-eds, who are forced to return to their rooms by their 12.30 curfew. The boys make their way to the new Allen Hall on the northeast corner of State and Francis Streets, calling for bras and panties. We want silk, the lusty fellows bellow, and several young women oblige, waving and dangling undergarments from their windows. Excitement builds. 
Soon, a car driving through the packed intersection knocks down a boy. Then a policeman clubs a student. Flying beer bottles break windows at the Madison Inn and Allen Hall before the mob moves on to Lowell Hall, where custodian Merlin Marty, cut by flying glass from a broken door, opens the fire hose to hold the students back. Things are now out of control. The mob blocks traffic all the way to the Capitol Square, bouncing cars and cavorting in the intersections. Students throw cans and bottles, even rocks and stones at the police. Seven are injured, including three policemen and a fireman. Police make 13 arrests, including the students who roll a parked car off the end of Lake Street and into the water, pushing it 30 feet from shore. Thankfully, the Notre Dame student sleeping in the Chevy's back seat wakes up in time to escape injury. Late Saturday night, after quarterback Ron Vanderkellen and All-American end Pat Richter lead the Badgers to a 17-8 victory over the Irish, it starts again. But this time, police are ready, and 20 officers are on the scene by midnight. With their active use of billy clubs and the paddy wagon, property damage is down, but arrests are up. 34 young men are taken away, mainly for getting in drunken, bloody brawls. Monday afternoon, the Faculty Committee on Student Conduct summarily suspends 20 students, reinstating 15 of them the next day. A handful of students pay fines of $105, but almost all have their charges dismissed by a sympathetic criminal and traffic court judge, William Bensley, who says, quote, I can realize from my own experience in the past that this was a case of your being in the wrong place at the wrong time. And October 25th is opening day for the Hilldale Shopping Center, the largest shopping center in south-central Wisconsin. Delayed by strikes and shortages, the 34-acre center has 26 stores employing around 600 persons, about half at the Gimbel's Schuster's department store. The morning ceremony starts with the national anthem performed by a 20-piece brass band. Freezing winds force the cancellation of a mass balloon release, but don't deter several thousand shoppers. For those who stay late, the 2,000-car lot features incandescent lights with color-coded pastel porcelain shades to help them remember where they parked. And that's this week's Madison in the 60s. For your award-winning, listener-supported, pledge-driving WORT news team, I'm Stu Levitan. And the time is now 6.55, and you're listening to this pledge-driving WORT community radio station. And uh, Jade and Nicole, if we uh, we had a nice little flurry there. Anything else? Hey, you know, we just have our the two people who donated previously, our union cab driver and Aaron, to thank. Um, and we really appreciate you guys. Yeah. Um, so thanks for giving. Yes, thank you so much to those. And it is not too late. You can still call that 608-206-2001 or go online. W- 256-2001. Oh, 256. <laughs> I misread my writing. <laughs> 608-256-2001 or online. WORTFM.org. We're still doing pledge drive for a few more days here, so don't be shy. Got yeah. some time. You can give to tomorrow to, thurs- to Thursday's news as well. You can give it to, to Query right after this. Um, and Monday will be the last day to give to the news. Um, so make sure that you showed, you know, the to WORT how much you care about 
um, the programming that we offer here, how much local news means to you, and you uh, make a donation sometime during this pledge drive. Again, the phone number here is 608-256-2001. We'll pick up at any time, um, truly, or you can go online at any time as well, 608, or sorry, org, And that does it for the pledge drive today. Just for right now. <laughs> Just for right now. <laughs> Keep those calls coming in at 608-256-2001. Keep those web donations coming too at wortfm.org slash donate. Thank you, truly thank you, for supporting the WORT Live Local News at 6 p.m. Monday through Thursday evenings. Your headline writer tonight was David Ahrens. Our reporters were Diego Alegria and Gigi Royko Moore. Special thanks to feature contributor Stu Levitan. Engineer Lauren Hicks got the news on the air. Faye Parks produced this newscast. And Sholly Pittman is the news director at WORT. I'm your host, Vicki Iden. And I'm your host, Robert McClure. Thanks to all of you who did pledge and keep this news independent. You can still do it at 608-256-2001. Stay tuned next for Query. We'll be back in your ears tomorrow night at 6. Until then, good night.